now another episode of Burp Along with Sean. Oh, yeah, I could. Tr- anyway, sorry. Uh, uh, mm, excuse me. Bless you. Thank you. Uh, that's that blackberry ginger ale that I just swigged down earlier. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for the Pie Factory Podcast. Swig of my drink. Yeah. Mm. Tap water. Oh, gosh. We have horrible tap water here, but, you know, it's amazing how fast you get used to bad tap water when you're about 20 miles out uh, on your bicycle and there's no water anywhere near you except for what is in your water bottle. You get used to bad water real fast. Get yourself one of those like filter thingies, like a pitcher that has a filter on it. And the... uh, we actually do. It doesn't oh, really okay. make much difference to the taste, though. Really? Here, though. Oh, hmm. yeah. I want to get. Have you seen this thing? Um, I don't. I think it's available, but it. I guess it only works on days with a lot of humidity. But it actually uh. takes water out of the air, takes the humidity, and uh, puts it in a water bottle. You like generate water while you're out on your bicycle. It's really awesome. It's just simple technology, just using the simple scientific uh, concept of uh, condensation and uh, using it to the right. Condensation. Condensation. And um, that sounds nice and all, but thing is, you don't know what's floating around in that air. That you know. Oh, that's true. So, you're especially so those of you who live out in the city. Of course, those well, of us yeah. who live out here, we know what's in it. It's cow manure. Yeah, you're drinking cow manure basically. Yeah. Which is why it well, is... it's more g- natural than, say, drinking whatever the hell's in the city. Well, natural doesn't necessarily mean good, though. That's true. Cow, actually, cow, uh, cow droppings are one of the reasons why it's uh, illegal to go in the water. It's starved rock. Really? Huh. Yep. Don't go in the water. Don't wade in it. Don't do nothing, because it's all farm runoff. Could be fertilizers. Could be cow crap. Could be chicken crap. You don't know, and there's been many stories about people accidentally getting some of the water in their mouth and then uh, being sick for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I love the park, but you don't drink the water. To be fair, you don't drink the water anywhere <laughs> naturally. Yeah, you right. can always treat it with something, with a f- filtering or iodine tabs or boiling the hell out of it. You treat it with respect and kindness. Sure, let's go with that. So. Okay, good. Oh, so uh, we've been talking for a couple of minutes here. We haven't Woo-hoo. even introduced ourselves. Hi. Welcome to the Pie Factory Podcast. This Hi. is Jimmy G from the uh, just south of the Illinois and Michigan Canal, and uh, from the city of Chicago or somewhere's up there is who? Oh, oh, the other guy. Uh, uh, what the hell's my uh, Sean? 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 Yeah, just just Jonathan. south of uh, Rogers Park. Yeah, Rogers Park. Well, maybe they better give it back to Roger. I know, I'm telling you. Yeah. So this is what, episode 107, is it? It is episode uh, 107. Yeah. Hey. And we're going to start. Bef- well, yeah, we're going to start. But before we even do, we have a word from one of our sponsors. Small. And we're back. So how have you been, Sean? How have I been? Well, just the past few minutes, I've been very throat cleary. Uh, I, I don't know why. <clears throat> so I'm doing a lot of that lately. Mm-hmm. And let me see. Uh, let's see. This is my third work day in a row. So uh, I hate you. Yeah. But thing is Sunday. I had to work oh, Sunday. Yeah. Still so, yeah. better to have a job and an income. Yeah. 
Okay, then I'm going to feel bad about this then, but I don't care. Just because it's almost related, but there's something I really, really, really wanted to get, but I wanted to hold off until I saw how, uh, how we were doing on taxes and, uh, uh-huh. well, we got our taxes done. So, uh, after that, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I can justify this. So I'm opening it up right now. It just arrived. And it is a DE 10 nano, uh, for Intel FPGA university program. Ho ho. Yay. What is it? It is a FPGA board that, mm-hmm. uh, has, uh, there's a project for it called mist or capital M lowercase I I, this. uppercase S uppercase T E R. It's like a newer version of mist sort of, but not quite. It's more powerful than mist. It can run all kinds of cores. And the reason that I got this is that lately, like in the past couple of months, I've been really, 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 really missing Amiga. I mm-hmm. did some searches for ones. I wanted to get something like a 500, 600, 1200 and nothing I could find was any, was for any reasonable price. And I figured, well, I guess I could just do some emulation. And I looked into it and there's like FPGA cores for Amiga. So I got one of them. And the cool thing is this also has a Commodore 64 core, uh, and a whole bunch of other things too. Like I, th- I think it has uh, most of the classic video game consoles. I could basically do a lot of it with just one small kit rather than getting a whole separate computer. That's just a unitasker. Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm really looking forward to, uh, futzing with this thing. The only thing is you need to get an additional Ram board, an SD RAM mm-hmm. board for it to, to basically be able to do anything. And uh, that has not arrived yet. Uh, it's sold separately by different mm-hmm. people. But uh, I'm really excited about futzing around with it. I like to futz. Nice. Futz, futz, futz. Ooh. Futz. Hey now, this is a family show. Futz. 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 So have you been playing anything lately? Uh, let's see. I played uh, the games that we're going to talk about tonight. Um, mm-hmm. I try to play um, Mr. Do at least a little bit every day just to practice. And I'm just stuck. I'm, I, I can't get any higher than, say, 290,000. So I got I might need some uh, refresher lessons from uh, Bruce Widmer next time mm-hmm. he's in town. Uh, I played Pac-Man 8K a few times for Atari 2600 for uh, mm-hmm. the Atari Age high score thingy on Facebook. That's a great version of it. It is the best 2600 version. See, I don't have the 4K cartridge because I'm holding out for the 8K cartridge to be released. So I played it off my Harmony cart. Mm-hmm. And um, let me see. What else? I've uh, been playing a lot of pinball fantasies lately, mm-hmm. which is undoubtedly contributing to my sorely missing Amiga days because... It's primarily an Amiga game, but you can get it on a smartphone. I have it on uh, both of my Macs. So I've been playing. Yeah, it's interesting. I I have no interest in playing actual pinball, but a video pinball game, I I don't know how that works. But hey, what are you going to do, right? What you going to do? And uh, that's it. How about you? Well, the last four or five days, I got really extremely addicted to a game on my phone called Heroism. H-E-O. It, like hero, heroism, H-E-R-O-I-S-M, and it's a RPG dungeon crawler roguelike thing, and I have just been so damn addicted to this thing, and it's been taking up a lot of my time, and yeah, you can watch ads for power-ups or pay to, um, you know, for the sort of full version, but they don't throw ads at you or anything, which is a very nice touch, and it's just freaking addicting. 
Uh, so I've been playing that a lot. And also, I have come to the determination that I have to say, sorry, Gyrus, but uh, Burger Time is probably my number two most favorite game of all time behind wow. iRobot. Wow. And I've been, because I've been playing the hell out of Burger Time, and I've been actually able at, uh, what's this place here, Morris, at Joystick, at, you know, the little arcade with clutter. Uh, well, oh, by the way, which is closing at the end of February. Yeah, they're moving to Memphis. Uh, yeah, they're moving to Memphis. So I have actually gone through all the the levels and actually, it's not called rolling, it's, um, I've gone through the, the the sequence of levels one. I've been able to go through the sequence of levels and go a couple more levels further for a score of like 79,000 points on Burger Time. So uh, I've just been playing the heck out of that, trying to get better. Yeah. And um, we've talked about Burger Time, obviously, a long time yep. ago. And um, as I had met, pointed out in that episode, there are some issues with uh, with precise movement of the joystick. And, yeah, they're obviously still there. But uh, other than that, I think Burger Time's got really the most, no, not perfect, but most playable games uh, out there. I mean, it just yeah. got everything it does, it does well. And um, I've always loved Burger Time, but uh, I have to put it at number two, and then Moon Patrol at number three, and then Gyrus down at number four. Wow. I used to be able to loop Burger Time, but I haven't been able to do that for years. So I don't know what's loop it. it. That's the word I'm looking for. Loop it. The thing with Burger Time is on the early levels, get as many, build up as many peppers as you can. Yep. Some machines restrict you to nine, uh, depending on the dip switch settings, and others will let you go as many as you can collect because you will need them on the last level in the sequence because there are like eight, maybe ten dead ends on that screen. And uh you will get trapped on that last screen. Oh, that yeah. last screen is one of is probably one of the hardest screens in a video game. But um, God, I love that game. I've just been playing the hell out of it. I hate to say I haven't really touched the Collector Vision Phoenix in a while, but I've been using again through my Vision adapter the uh, the heck out of that uh, that uh, Super CV controller that uh, that I had received, and um, that is just an that is just an awesome thing for Mame as well. The great thing about it, since it's got the keypad, you can map all the essential main functions to that keypad. Like use asterisk for enter coin and one and two to start a one or two player game. And then you could map like your, um, yeah, I don't know, your dip switch settings to another one and all that. It's just, and you have everything right there. So you don't need a keyboard within arm's reach the whole time. Yeah. You can just have everything right there. And for most games, one joystick and four action buttons will work just fine. Nice. And so that that's a little hint for me to you. Uh, purchase one of those from Ed Ladin and uh, get one of those vision adapters, which I still want, that DB9, which accepts oh, pretty much any video game controller that had that same, uh, that same uh, connection. And um, go to town with this thing. It works really awesomely well in... Um, uh, Stella, um, and then there's I have an Atari 7800 emulator it works well with. I haven't tried it with anything uh, for any emulators for the 7800 or the 8-bit. Uh. You know what? I'm tempted. I've actually not hooked this up to any of my real consoles, and I've got the 8-bit computer here. Right now I have my 7800 and my um, Sega Master System hooked up, but I have not tried this on those. Hmm. hmm. And I have a Genesis sitting in the basement. I don't have any games for it, but I'm wondering if it would work on that. Probably not without some sort of an adapter, 
uh, to you know help differentiate the buttons, but uh, it is definitely something in the back of my mind now. Hmm. Mm. Tis a curiosity. So Indeed. that's what I have been up to, other than looking for work. Of so. course. Of course. So there we are. And there we are. Oh, yeah. I took another look at the uh, the cores that are out for Mr. There's a ton of, there's some arcade cores, mostly like cores, like core cores, I guess. Acorn Archimedes. Oh, man. Uh, Astrocade 2652 Vectrex. Hmm. So if my Vectrex ever gives up the ghost, I still have this. Uh, well, pretty much all the portables. I don't see links here, but that's only what's out now. Oh, that's the one thing I regret is getting rid of my links. TI-99-4A. Ooh. That's a computer I've always wanted to mess with. I've had very limited experience with that one. That always seemed like a neat machine. It really it really was from what I remember. When I was in grade school, back during that regrettable part of my life when I lived in Bourbon A, we had those in the classrooms. We had TI-99-4A in the classroom, and in the library we had a couple of Apple IIs. I remember playing Meteor Multiplication, Demolition Division, Minus Mission, and, uh, oh, what was the uh, Alien Edition? I have to say, the uh, I remember playing the Pac-Man clone and uh, their Space Invaders clone, TI Invaders, on that oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Those were really fun. Yeah, Munchman was the Pac-Man clone. Munchman, yes. Those were really fun games. I yeah, really enjoyed man, that. I'm really excited about getting this thing up and running. The, ran- the SD RAM board literally shipped minutes ago. So I'm still not going to get that for a couple of days, but hey, anyway, um, do you know uh, if we have any news or addenda or errata? Don't know about news, addenda or errata, but we do have an email. Oh, do tell, do tell. From Eugenio. Oh, is this something where he's talking about something we haven't talked about yet and we have to wait till we talk about it? Uh, yes and no. Oh, okay. Half and half. Oh. 50%. So... Yes, he talks about his experiences with the two games we're talking about tonight, but also with the uh, two consoles uh, from our previous episode. And by the way, thank you, uh, William Culver, Willie Culver, for oh yeah, thanks uh, for hanging out with us. And then there's something uh, silly at the end in a PS. But uh, saludos, Sean and Jim. I hope all is well with you guys. I've finished listening to your episode covering the Vectrex and the Atari Fifty Two Hundred. Sorry, I did not send feedback for that episode, but there it is now. Let me see. I've shared my story with the 5200 with the guys from the 5200 podcast, so I've adapted it for your episode. Thank Um, you. Atari 5200. I did not have a 5200 when it first launched. At the time, I had an Atari 2600, and that was all my family could afford. I remember looking at pictures of 2600 or of that of 5200 games for titles that were released in both the 2600 and 5200. I remember looking at pictures of 5200 games for titles that were released in both the 2600 and 5200 and being impressed with that the system had to show. Later on, I opted to get an Atari 7800 only because it was directly compatible with my 2600 games, and it wasn't until 2007 that I decided it was time to get that ginormous console Atari had made to replace the 2600, the mighty Atari 5200. Mm. I decided to buy both the two and four port versions of the console, which I was able to find on eBay. Both consoles came with some loose carts and two controllers. I took two of the controllers and immediately shipped them to Best Electronics and exchanged them for two controllers with the gold upgrade. Then came a Wiko stick, an Atari Max multi-cart, and a trackball controller. Which I still want to try one of those things. Thirteen years later, I can only say that the system has been a joy to own. The controllers have their issues, but they were not as terrible as I had read. 
The system's game library was also excellent with some excellent arcade parts. Titles like Kangaroo, Vanguard, Jungle Hunt, and Star Raiders are among my favorite titles for the system. Over the years, I've increased my game collection by getting both homebrew titles and 8-bit conversions that have been made available for the system. One of those homebrew titles I have come to enjoy quite a bit is Adventure 2, a game that is a great update of an Atari classic. Okay, you know what? I actually have played that on my 65XE, and that is really pretty hard. It's hard in the fact that everything is like laid out differently, and it's going to take a while to uh, for me to like get into it. But uh, truth be told, when we got Adventure, Adventure was the same way. It took me a long time on the original Adventure to figure out how to get around those mazes that where you could only see a little portion around you. Oh, yeah. But um, I'm sure it'll be the same thing with that game. So... Otherwise, it's really fantastic. But back to his email. Vectrex. This is another system I did not have growing up. In fact, I don't think I ever heard of the Vectrex when I was living in Puerto Rico. I learned about the Vectrex on on the online forums, and I saw games for it online and was fascinated by the system and its games. It wasn't also until 2007 I was able to get the system while I was living in New Jersey for work. Steve Scavone? Scavone? Scavoni asked me if I would be interested in buying his Vectrex, and he gave it to me at a really good price with several games. Uh, Sean, is that someone you've ever heard of, Steve Scavone? Never heard. Scavone, or is that someone he might know? So you think that my eight years in New Jersey, I know everybody from New Jersey? Well, I'm just asking if he's somebody in the Vectrex scene. I honestly don't know who's in the Vectrex scene except Chris Romero. The only names I know of are Stephen Cray, Chris Romero, and that Victor Marlin guy that we met when Trollnads was visiting. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's about it. Continuing. I got a Sean Coley... <laughs> yeah. I got a Sean Kelly multi-card as soon as I got the system so I could play the entire library. But then I started to find homebrew games for the system and have just have amassed a huge library of titles. Among my homebrew favorites are Vector Pilot, Vector Patrol, Protector, Y-A-S-I, Yasi, and Vectrexians. It's been really cool getting these new titles, particularly when they also come with overlays. Since I have the multi-card, I also decided to get either original or reproduction overlays for all the games. But my most precious acquisition is the 3D Imager. I got an original boxed one, and it is truly an amazing piece of hardware. Remarkable how it colorizes the games, but also does give them depth. There is someone who makes an alternate version of these that you can also use. Much cheaper than getting an original one. Oh, Um, that's what I was was asking about. I um, just, um, today, just a couple hours ago, watched a video on YouTube of somebody reviewing all of the games for the Vectrex, all of the original releases, uh, 29, I believe he said there were, and he uh, highlighted a bit on the prices for the 3D imager. Wow. Some of the things on eBay for that thing go for like four digits. Yeah. Do uh, they actually go for that much, or is that just the asking price? That's just the asking price. Who knows what they go for, but I'm just saying... Even the other prices that he showed in the montage were not cheap, so that's wow. But anyway, he continues, If that weren't enough, I also have a collection of homebrew controllers for the system and the light pen. Yep, I went all the way with the Vectrex, and I don't get tired of it. It's an awesome and unique system. It's unfortunate it died because of the video game crash of 83. It definitely had a lot of untapped potential. So that's my feedback for the two consoles, which I hope wasn't too long. Now, here's my feedback for the games being covered today. Uh, no, we will talk no, about no, that no, a little bit later. Yep, yep, yep. And I'm going to bring this up now. Uh, this is not going to change the way I do anything, but I'm going to bring this up. He has a PS. 
This is unrelated to either game reviewed in the episode, but I had to share it. I watched a video comparing Galaga 88 versions done by Retrocore, and there's a rant about how to properly pronounce the game's name at the very beginning of the video. The explanation makes sense, so I figured I shared the link to the video so you can check it out. Sorry, Jim, you've been saying it wrong. Here's the link. To get that, okay. Hey, what did I say before? It went in doubt. Watch Starcade because the company is not going to put up with people mispronouncing their products on national TV. Have I watched Starcade in which they played that uh, Galaxian sequel? No. Will I? When I remember to. Have I been planning to? Yes. Have I remembered to? Hell no. And now for the big prize, number four is this Galaga or Galactican. Galactican. I've actually watched the video, and I don't like the way that the presenter uh, kind of talks down to people that pronounce it the way I do. Uh, he kind of gets a little snotty about it, but uh, that's just the way I see it. So We will share that in the uh, show notes, however. Yeah, we will. Via a link. Yeah. Sure. See, we have to put the sound effect in there, but we can't put the sound effect in unless somebody says link. So link. Link in the show notes. Yep. There we go. Or as they say on 10 pence, no shots, which to be honest... I laugh every time they say that. <laughs> that makes me, it makes me giggle. I like it when they so. say Skellington instead of Skeleton. <laughs> well, it's Jack Skellington from the Nightmare Before Christmas. But it still sounds so like they're trying to to like be extremely British when they say that. I think only Victor does that. Might be wrong. Yeah, could be. I don't know. But So there we are. And do we have any more? Any tweets or anything um, or any other? Oh, shoot. I haven't read? checked the uh, Twitters in a while. Uh, we do have uh, a little bit from Airshack. Oh, we do have one bit of news. One. Oh. I, I just I just realized. Oh, this. do tell. Do tell. Uh, the day that we're recording this, 2 4 of 2020, is the birthday of the founder of the real Atari, ah, Nolan Bushnell. Indeed. So happy birthday, Nolan. Happy birthday, Nolan. Like he listens. <laughs> you, know, you never know, you, though. You never know. I tried to get him on my previous podcast because I found out he was a, a fan of a book that I liked uh, about a certain philosophy, and uh, we just could never get, get it to work. Uh, you see, that's why you should do a one-person podcast. You don't have to worry about scheduling or anything. Scheduling? I mean, really, why do you have me on your podcast? I'm still working, and I'm not kidding. I'm getting um, vacation video from 2014 together. Oh, good Lord. Well, the thing is, I actually had it done because uh, I took the time that I was off with my foot problems that I was having, the time I was off work then, and I was putting it together, and I actually had it done, I was, but I was doing it Linux, and the, uh, the tools I were using would keep crashing, and I could never get the final product mm. burned to a DVD. And so I'm like, I, I got so frustrated, I'm like, screw this, and I just didn't pick it up again until recently. Fortunately, I still have all of the video. <laughs> So that's something. Well, hey, Scattered Frog started recording its Christmas album already, but let's see if that project ever comes to fruition. Christmas for what, for what Christmas. year? Christmas. It's called Christmas Bag of Threats. Christmas Bag of Threats. I yeah, like the, that. Yeah, the closing track has already been recorded and mixed and mastered. Yeah. Awesome. Merry Christmas, everybody. And uh, speaking of Christmas, here's a little note from Airshack. Uh, he just had a brief comment how either you or Willie... Uh, I think it was you who mentioned that the uh, ColecoVision flashback controller is a bit of a problem. Well, he shared a link to a video that, and I quote, completely fixes any issues with the ColecoVision flashback controller. Imho makes it superior to the original. 
Make ColecoVision great again. Salute. Or does he just mean salute? I don't know. Interesting that Eugenio started his email by saying saludos, and uh, Airshack ended his by saying salute or salute. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But that might be something uh, to look into. And we also got a brief comment on Atari Age, which is great because we both totally forgot to uh, mention on Atari Age we had a new episode out. Oops. S. Ramirez 2008 says, just listen to your last episode and you mentioned a few of my favorite 5200 games. Space Dungeon. Both this and Robotron did come packed with the uh, controller holder. And since that's actual information and content about Robotron, hide. This week in Robotron. Thank you. Kicks. Great port and I agree the CX-52 controller worked well with it. Space Invaders, this is a great version. It doesn't get enough love, Emo. And yes, it does work with the trackball. Oh, nice. Great episode, guys. Thumbs up. Hey, thank you, S. Ramirez 2008. And he adds, uh, I need a Vectrex. Yeah, yeah. Vect- Vectrices are nice things. They really are. If you can get one, absolutely, absolutely get one. I'm so glad that I was able to, to find one for, well, not a wonderful price, because a wonderful price was the 50 bucks it sold for after Milton Bradley took over. <laughs> But still something that's about what you would expect. So I think that was it. I uh, think so. Um, yeah. And awkward silence as we figure out what the hell we're going to do next. Well, I don't know. Should we talk about some games, perhaps? Well, yeah, let's talk about some uh, arcade games, wait, actually. There's <clears throat> a word I've been wanting to use for a while. <clears throat> Uh-oh. Shall we talk about some games, perchance? Oh, perchance. Uh, per adventure, we should. Sweet. <clears throat> I mean, uh, per suite. So, which one uh, do you want to talk about? Blueprint. Blueprint? Ooh, ooh throwing me the curveball. And, uh, seeing it's the new year and all, we need to, oh. ch- we can't do aha or... Oh, man, we gotta come up with a yeah. new thing. Yeah, we, we had it easy because our first episode of the new year was off topic, so... Yes, so, I think I know what to go with. <clears throat> Blueprint! Yes! Ah, uh, yes. <clears throat> no. Blueprint, yes! I don't know, we've done Ah, uh, yes. Uh, so maybe Have not we? just that. Have we? Maybe not. Uh, no, we, just, we did just, Ah, yes, and then we did Huzzah. We'll, we'll maybe we'll just keep our listeners on their toes. So. Oh. <coughs> That's uh, what we're going to yes. do. Blueprint. <coughs> Blueprint. Copyright 1982, Bally Midway Manufacturing Company. However, it was actually programmed by Ashby Computers and Graphics Limited. Well, in Blueprint, you control a character whose name I am blanking on for the moment. Maybe I should just look that up real quick. Ah, here we are. In Blueprint, you control a character named JJ. He happens to be an inventor, and what you have to do is assemble a machine to kill off Ali Ogre before Ali catches your girlfriend. Ali is at the top of the screen chasing your girlfriend, and they go back and forth on, well, not back and forth, but they go from from right to left across the screen. When they get to the end, they scroll, and Ali Ogre gets ever so close. So you have to find the pieces of this machine and put them on the blueprint at the bottom of the screen. Now, on the play field, there are a bunch of houses, and each one will either contain a piece of the machine or a bomb. If you have a bomb, you have to drag it to a pit in the lower right corner of the screen called the bomb pit, or sometimes called the monster pit, because you can drag a monster there too. 
or it will have a piece of the machine, and in which case, again, you put that right on the blueprint. After all of the pieces of the machine are on the blueprint, you run over the button on the lower left-hand corner of the screen, and then you come to a new screen where your machine starts shooting bullets up to the top of the screen, and you have to knock out Ali Ogre before he catches your girlfriend. Well... There's a little bit more to it than that. There is, in higher levels, there is a there will be a monster that comes around the bottom part of the screen jumping up and down. Now, you can drag him and dump him in the pit. Well, if he touches the start button, or if you touch the start button before the machine is assembled, all the pieces fall off, and you have to put them back up on the blueprint. After the third level, there will be a character called a Fuzzy Wuzzy going around the maze Aww. who will try to catch you. And um, that's about it. You do have a speed control. There is a speed meter at the bottom of the screen. And um, save that for when you have a bomb, because it's really pretty difficult to pick up a bomb and take it to the bomb pit without using some speed. So you got to be aware of that. And uh, that's about it. Um, if you drop a bomb in the monster pit, you get 50 points. If you return a monster to the monster pit, you get 100 points. If you find a piece of the blueprint in the maze, you get 1,000. Killing the monster with the weapon, Ali Ogre. Uh, you get 5,000, 1,000, 1,500, or 2,000 points, uh, depending on how close Ali Ogre is to your girlfriend. Now, no. one thing to remember is that there is only a, there can only ever be one piece of, a, of, of the machine in a house. So if you go back to that house, forgetting that you picked up the piece there, uh, you will pick up a bomb. So be aware of that. This is a, this is a very memory heavy oh, yeah. game. And um, there you go. Um, now I had mentioned that uh, Ashby Computers and Ashby Computers and Graphics Limited were the programming team for the game. However, they used to be, they came on, um, they changed their name to Ultimate Play the Game, and they created quite a few games for, uh, like, the Z, uh, ZX Spectrum and the Commodore 64, and they eventually formed the company Rare, uh, which anybody who knows anything about current video games know who Rare is. Please tell me who Rare is, because well, I don't know. Rare did a lot of games for Nintendo, and were created a lot of games for the SNES and N64, and then they also created a few arcade games, including Killer Instinct and Battletoads. Ah. And uh, Rare is, of course, now owned by Microsoft, of course. And once that happens, they stopped making games for the Nintendo. They were like Nintendo's like biggest partner at one time, which is quite interesting. Yeah. As far as ports go... Uh, there were two computer ports, the Commodore 64 and the Atari uh, XE. And console ports, there was the Atari 2600, uh, the Atari 5200. And the CBS catalog, the video game catalog from that era, says that there was an Intellivision version of the game. I can't find on any information whether it was completed or if there was a prototype or whatever. So I'm just put a question mark next to that. A note on the 2600 version. There was a contest in conjunction with this one where every time you got past a level, a letter would appear on the left side of the screen. And there were eight letters, and they were T-E-A-L-P-H-E-N. It was an anagram, and so you had to figure out what the word was and send it to uh, CBS Games, and you won a prize. I don't remember what the prize was off the top of my head. The only two words that are speculated that it could have been were either elephant, or, well, actually, technically three words, but uh, the, other fra the other one was the phrase, the plane. I think elephant is probably it because it was a secret word, not a secret phrase. However, the plane makes more sense from the perspective that uh, CBS Electronics was working on a, another game for the 2600, which has not uh, been found yet, called Wings, which I'm assuming is some sort of a flying game. 
but um, it was never released. No prototype has been found. So take your pick. It's either elephant or the plane. But um, no details have ever been found out whether anybody won the contest or anything like that. I could have sworn the Galloping Ghost has an arcade game called Wings. Yes, they might, but that would be something else different. That would be something else entirely. Because from what I understand, from what limited information I know about Wings, it was uh, was kind of like its own thing. I don't think it was actually based on anything. Although it was... Aha. Later in the 80s, there was a sitcom called Wings. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was out around the time of this, though. Now I've got to look that up. Thanks, Sean. Uh Uh-huh. I have to make you do research. Uh, oh, it was in the okay. Wings was in the nineties, April nineteenth, nineteen ninety to May twenty first, nineteen ninety seven. So no, it didn't. Uh, it didn't. That show was on show. that long. Good lord! Apparently so. I don't think I've ever seen any episode of it. I know I haven't. Oh, some actually uh, some names in that show that I rem- that I know: Tim Daly, Thomas Hayden Church, Tony Shalhoub, Amy Yazbek. Tony Shalhoub was in Wings. Good lord! Apparently, huh? Monk. Yep. And, uh, huh, interesting. So that is the basics of Blueprint. Uh, so what do you think of the game, Sean? Oh, man, I have a very Mr. Horse attitude about it. No, sir, didn't like it? <sighs> yeah, I mean, you mentioned that there's an Atari 2600 conversion of it. I didn't like the 2600 version. The arcade version... There was a little bit less not likey about that, but that's the best I can say. It just, I don't know, there's just, it had promise to me. The graphics are, are nice. Mm-hmm. They, it looks like a fun game, but when you play it, it's just kind of annoying. I mean, it, you know how many times it took me to, how many games I had to play before I could finally actually complete a blueprint? Hmm. A lot. A lot. A metric lot? No, just a regular lot. Just, just a regular an, lot. an imperial lot. Gotcha. And I, I don't know, it's just... It, There's a it lot does, going on it, in this game. Yeah, and it's not very forgiving. No, no, not at all, no. See, I don't like unforgiving games. Because if you're you're telling me that I'm never going to do any better than, say, getting a few parts in, what's my impotence to play the game further? Impotence? I totally get you. Uh, I have been able to... Impotence. It, it never really took me that long to actually complete the... The machine. One of the big differences, and I, I actually, I, I think I like the twenty six hundred version. I, I mean, I had it as a kid, so, and I, I grew up with it, and um, I like the twenty six hundred version better. For the arcade screen, just looks like a mess. You know, it just looks messy. It doesn't look polished. The, the game is really in both gameplay and looks. The arcade game is just doesn't have a polished feel. You know what I'm saying? It just, I don't know. There's just something I, missing there. I thought the arcade game looked actually more polished, but eh, I don't know. What do I know? It's just like, the, I, I get what they're trying to do with it, but it just seemed like the, the, the combination of elements just was just just too much for a cohesive whole. But that having been said, I like the 2600 version. There's it's, The screen's a lot less cluttered. It still has the basic gameplay, but there's one major difference between the two versions that I know of. In the arc, in the twenty six hundred version, when you're on the second screen after you build the blueprint, there's a power meter on the right side of the screen. If you push up on the joystick, you can make the bullet travel faster. Once I found that out, I just I started getting into the game and I got pretty good at it. In the arcade version, the machine just shoots out bullets in up in an arc, but they it's like random heights and it's like every fourth or fifth one will get up to the level 
of where uh, where you you, you got to shoot Ali Ogre, and um, it's uh, you have more of a feeling of control on the twenty six hundred version than you do in the arcade version, and um, I don't know. I just like the art. I, I think it's better at home than it is in the arcade. That's I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna say that's my opinion, but we've been doing this podcast for however long, and of course, all this stuff is our opinion. So. Yeah. And not very useful opinion, because you could imagine the people who originally developed these games, they could have said, oh, thanks a lot. Send your opinions to 1982 when I could have used them. Yeah. But now... But now it's not 1982 anymore. Now I'm curious to see what... Uh... Oh! Okay. Oh. The people... Okay. Uh, we had mentioned the uh, the company that, uh, that pr- actually programmed this. Uh, being Ashby Computers, who changed their name to Ultimate Play the Game and eventually formed the company Rare. Uh, they did Killer Instinct, but uh, I think most people will know know them for their most pop... I think their most famous game on the N64, GoldenEye. Oh, re- oh they did GoldenEye. They, the same company did the arcade huh. version of this, did GoldenEye. They did the N64 game I can name. Yes. <laughs> Probably the only game that gets talked about well on that console. Maybe Mario Super Mario 64, but I'm sure there are others. I've never owned one. It's the only Nintendo console I've never owned. So, yeah, there you go with that. So, uh, so Sean, where's the first time you played Blueprint? Nowhere. Nowhere? Nowhere. You said, where is the first time? Nowhere, because I still haven't played it. You haven't played Blueprint? I've only played the 2600 version, and MAME does not count. So you have played the arcade version, just in MAME. Yeah, just in MAME, yes. Well, I know I've played this in the arcade. I've played it at Galloping Ghost a few times. But I do recall actually playing this back in my ute. I want to think it was at Putt-Putt, because this seems like the kind of game they would take, they would uh, they would carry. Hmm. So I'm pretty sure it was Putt-Putt Golfing Games I've played this. On Essington Road, I take it? On uh, Essington Road. And in Joliet, I would like, Illinois. And I would like to. I would, and I think that... Um, I know I've seen this in laundromats. I I consider this another laundromat game. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask because it does kind of feel kind of. It has that aesthetic. Yeah, laundromat game aesthetic. Yes. Which um, I think the second game we're going to talk about has a bit of that too, but not as not as much. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll get to we'll that. Get to that. But I, so, Sean, yeah, do you have any high scores for this? Um, actually, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Actually, I have one high score for it because both of the uh, scoreboards that I use for reference agree. They both have the same high score. Twin Galaxies and Orcade.com, A-U-R-C-A-D-E.com, agree that David Nelson has the record of 146,300, and that was performed on June the 4th of 2006. Nice. Oh, any questions? No questions. Thank you, but that is not a question. Oh, I'm supposed to have a question? Ah, there's a question. Okay. Well, there you go. So, Sean, what are you going to rate Blueprint? Well, let's see. Given that we use a scale based on the number of continues from one to five, some people use stars, we use continues. I'm going to rate this exactly two continues. I'm sorry, two? Two continues for Blueprint. Two, and I think I'm going to give Blueprint a two as well. I was originally going to give it a three, really, because I don't hate the game, but the more I think about it, the more I would rather play the 2600 version or even huh. the version that's out on the uh, XE. Oh, okay, yeah, because you sounded a lot more positive about it than I did. Yeah, I I just think it's, I think this game works better as a home game. 
Hmm. Oh, kind of like Tinkle Pit. Kind of like Tinkle Pit. Which I got to tell you, I played that at the Ghost finally. I don't remember if I met I think I mentioned it last time we talked about this. Uh, and I played through it and I might change my mind on my assessment of it being better as a console game because I was really digging it. Yeah. Well, yeah, remember I, too, though, at the machine they have it on there has a, has an actual CRT monitor. We play it at home. We've got the LCD, and that alone, it, that alone changes the visual quality of the game. Mm. So I, I mean, that I might have that something to do with it. it but uh, yeah. there oh, you go. God, I'm so full of yawns tonight. At least you're not full of something else. Like what? Toys? Noids. Noids. Yeah, yeah sure. Why not? Okay. So. Shall okay, we move on noids. to our next yes, game? Yes, let's move let's on, Let's move on. Please. What is our next game? Our next game, uh, oh, I thought you were doing both games. So no. I, I didn't. No, no, oh, no, crap. my friend. Nah. All right, fine. We got ourselves uh, Solar Fox. Is that what it's called? Solar Fox. Yes. Yes, Solar Fox. The copyright date on the screen says it's 1981. Uh, but uh, dig this, my fellow friends. It was released in 1982, actually, and programmed by Jack Pearson with sound programmed by Ben Blish. Uh, Ben Blish also having done the sound for Satan's Hollow, which is rather fitting because I do believe Satan's Hollow and Solar Fox had the same hardware. And uh, Jack Pearson actually did uh, several video games and pinball games for Allied Leisure Industries in Hialeah, Florida, back in the 70s before he moved over to Bali. Solar Fox is probably his best-known video game title. I believe I mentioned this to you before, but I gotta talk about this again. I never played Solar Fox ever, ever, ever. I would never be able to identify it, ever. I never played it until prepping for this episode. And... I'm giving a little bit of a spoiler about my uh, rating. I really enjoyed it. But what I really enjoyed almost as much, if not just as much, was the general instructions booklet that came with the game. On the very first page, it says in all capital letters, this is a preliminary general instructions booklet only. And there appears to be like a little postcard you can pull out of it and you fill it out so you can request a complete owner's manual. Oh, jeez, That's awesome. Yeah. It says a complete operator's manual was not available when your new game was shipped. If you will complete this postage free card and drop it in the mail to us, Midway Manufacturing Company will be happy to send you the operator's manual for the below indicated game by return mail. And this is int- this is what's even more fascinating The address on the card says, Attention, Belmont Parts Department. The address, was it their location, 10601 Belmont? No, the address was 10750 West Grand Avenue, which is a half a mile south of their Belmont office. On Grand Avenue. Avenue. Yeah, I don't know why they sent it to the other location if it's just going to the attention of the Belmont location. But I don't know. But if you read further in that little startup booklet, there's a troubleshooting section, and it talks about how, at least the section on troubleshooting monitors, it says, troubleshooting monitors requires experience, patience, and luck, with luck being in bold. <laughs> I don't know if, I, if I'd feel confident troubleshooting a monitor if luck is one of the, the required um, skills. So I, what do you think about that? Yeah, um... <laughs> It's like, yeah, I'll pass on this yeah. game. Um, 
And also the troubleshooting section actually says that the book was designed so that people who don't have a degree in electronic engineering or troubleshooting can understand it. And also fascinating, I I don't know why I find this so fascinating. We're supposed to talk about the game, but I'm still in the preliminary general instructions booklet. There's an address for Coin Mechanisms, Inc., which is where you can write if you need help for the uh, coin accepting thing at the bottom of the, where you put the coin or the token. And that address is in Elmhurst, Illinois, and that same business still exists at that same address. I thought that was pretty cool. cool. But the uh, preliminary general instructions booklet was actually very generic. There was no mention of a game whatsoever. So (laughs) I got a feeling they might have shipped this with Satan's Hollow as well. Hmm. Now, as for the game itself, I, I want to read from the parts and operation manual because I, I didn't really know how to explain the game. It's, it's really easy to learn. Uh, you could probably figure it out just by playing, really. But here's how they explain it. And I quote, when playing this game, the ship, capital S for some reason, I guess that's its name, ship, is under your control. Uh, your is bold letters, uppercase. Just like you move it back and forth or up and down on the screen to eliminate the fusors, pulsors, and to dis oh man, they, their grammar needs to be fixed here. And to disable the yellow thrustors while building up your score. To disable all four thrustors at once, you must either run over or shoot the freezor as it works its way across the screen. These fusors are displayed in various patterns across the entire playing field of the screen. Each pattern is called a rack, in quotes. <laughs> the first rack is made up of fusors arranged in the shape of a large number zero. Um, I should clarify that, by the way. This is Sean speaking, not the manual. Uh, it looks like the letter O, too. It doesn't have the little slash in there that sometimes you see in fonts to distinguish a zero from an O. Uh, anyway, going back to the manual. The second and all future racks are made up of fusors arranged in ever more difficult patterns. Evermore being one word, by the way, uh, which I think is correct. Anyway, at random times during each rack, a special blinking pulsor will appear for a short time. If you eliminate this special blinking pulsor before it disappears, you earn bonus points. The value of these bonus points is printed out in the screen as you eliminate the pulsor. All of the above must be accomplished while avoiding being hit by one of the many small vortices shot at you by each of the four thrust doors. One of these thrust doors patrols each edge of the monitor screen, left, right, top, and bottom. This will really test your skill because you can have a lot of vortices coming at you from four different directions (laughs) at the same time. As your skill level increases and you work your way into the higher and higher racks, the fusors must be run over twice by your ship before they are eliminated. Their pattern is more varied, and the number of vortices shot at you is increased. The speed and distance the vortices travel is increased, and the thrustor's aim gets better. Bonus ships are awarded to you periodically throughout the game as you reach or pass certain pre-selected rack numbers. And uh, that's what it says there. It also says every fourth rack is a challenge rack, bonus rack, and that dying on one of those racks does not cost a life. Uh, I don't know if it's just that I'm not that good at the game, but I've seen two of those challenge racks, and the challenge racks so far from what I've seen, you can't die on it. You just run out of time. 
There's there are no enemies might, or anything. Or is that maybe might later I just ones? Uh, uh, say here that uh, I will never get used to a screen or a level or board or whatever in a video game being called a rack. If the screen in Solar Fox is a very uh, put out in a very aesthetically pleasing way, could you say nice rack? Um, I, don't I, I don't think the rack actually is about the the physical appearance. I think it's just about the actual like number itself. It's basically another way of saying label. And I'm pretty sure that's a Bally Midwayism because I've never seen that word rack used in reference to any other game but those made by Bally Midway. Including um, uh, ones that that were made by overseas companies. When Bally I Mid- will agree with I, I agree with that. I have not seen any other company use that term as well. And also, either you ignored my dirty joke or you missed it. And let's see, what else do we have to say here? <laughs> oh, under game objective, it says the object of the game is to have fun while constantly increasing your skill as you play running over and or shooting as many scorable objects as possible each time to get the highest score. You scarred with a knife rack. There we go. Indeed. Uh, So anyway, yeah, that's uh, the game. And there are some things that aren't really clear. Like there, and I don't know what these things are called, but sometimes on the play field, there are these little round things that you bump into or that you can bump into and they kind of make your ship spin around for a bit and then you resume and they're Mm kind of, there's, I guess you're supposed to, uh, to avoid those or shoot them. I don't know what those things are called. I couldn't find any any reference to them. And uh, yeah. But yeah, that, that that's basically what the game is like. We talked about the game Eyes before. There's a huge Eyes vibe to this, really. It's kind of like Piranha, which is basically a hack of uh, Pac-Man without any internal maze walls combined mm-hmm. with Eyes. If you pretend the game is Pac-Man and instead of monsters coming after you, you're being shot at from the perimeter and you can either eat the dots or shoot the dots pretend that that's what you do and that's pretty much the game right there as far as i know the only thing that will actually kill you is the shots from the thrust doors at the edges of the screen everything else as far as i know you can run into without dying correct me if i'm wrong oh trust me i will (laughs) I'm sure you will. And what's interesting I found is that this game, the play field is actually a grid complete with grid lines and everything. So it looks like you're playing on graph paper. Oh man. It's, it's, it's like kind of like how Amadar looks That's a grid. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of unusual. Like the Atari, this was ported to the Atari 2600, by the way, uh, jumping ahead a bit. And that version doesn't have the grid. It's just the plain old, black background with no grid. I mean, it still plays along a grid. You just don't see the grid. Mm -hmm. Anyway, going back to the game itself, uh, I'll talk about the point breakdown. If you destroy a vortex, you get 300 points. And uh, I misspelled energy in my notes here. It says energy. Let me, there we go. And if you destroy an energy field, oh, you know what? That must be, Though that must be the things you bounce off of 100 points each. And by the way, it only counts if you shoot it, not if you run into it. If you destroy a fusor, you get 30 points. Now, the manual says that that increases by 30 points every three racks with a maximum of 90 points. But I found that it actually increases by 10 points every rack. So I, I don't know, unless me, it might be like those corrections you see at Walmart. Sometimes I said, uh, we, we published that we're having a four for 10 sale, but it's really a two for five sale. 
It's like, yeah, whatever. If you destroy a Polzar, either by shooting it or colliding into it, you get somewhere between 200 and 800 points inclusive. If you shoot a red thrustor, it's 100 points. If you shoot a yellow thrustor, you get 200 points. There's also a feature called the skip rack timer. There's a white bar on the top of the screen that has Mm -hmm. the words skip rack timer in it, and the white kind of fades away. It's basically a little progress bar in a way. And if you clear the rack before the white fades away completely, you skip the next rack and you get a bonus of 100 points per little tick left in that uh, progress bar, if you will. There's also a challenge rack, like I said, every fourth rack. And uh, if you finish the challenge rack in time, you get a thousand points as a bonus. And then every challenge rack after that, you get 600 additional points if you finish in time, maxing out at 7,600. Once you pass the uh, challenge rack, that'll give you 7,600 points. It starts over at 1,000 and repeat, etc. And the instructions mention that you get a bonus ship every once in a while. Uh, I know you get one after 70,000 points, and you also get one if you join the uh, 10 rack club, as they actually call it on the screen. After you get past rack number 10, a message appears on the screen saying, congratulations, I think it says uh, you're in the 10 rack club. Mm -hmm. That gets you an extra ship. And I know there's another point, is it 100,000 maybe, where you get another additional ship? I think it's every 10 racks. It's every 10 racks, and there are also some scores that you pass. There are two scores that when you pass them, you get bonus ships. Of course, configurable by the dip switches. And speaking of switches, switches are hardware. I failed to talk about the hardware. The hardware is a ambidextrous trigger-style four-directional joystick. I think there's a button on it, but I'm going to give it away now that I've never actually played the real cabinet even though they have it at Galloping Ghost. I should have played it while I was there, but no, I didn't. Oh, wonderful planning, Sean. Uh, I believe the the uh, trigger, uh, am I right here saying, assuming the, the trigger has fire buttons on it? Or is it the fire buttons that are on the side? Mm-hmm. Because you have a button to adjust your speed and a button to fire. Mm-hmm. And there's something that I saw in this game that I don't think I've seen in any other game, is that when you start the game you have an option to choose novice mode or expert mode. And the difference Mm -hmm. is how fast your ship moves. If you choose novice mode, then you get a slow ship and the speed button makes your ship go faster. And if you choose expert mode, it's the other way around. Your ship by default goes fast and the speed button slows you down. And by the way, if you want to clear a rack before its corresponding timer goes out, you will have to use the speed button at some time. And I just want to say the challenge racks are very unforgiving. You have to not miss any of the... Yes. Oh, I suddenly forgot the name of the thing. Any of the fusars, fusors. If you miss a fusor and have to backtrack, you will not finish in time, so you won't get the bonus. Oh, yeah. In later ones, you have to make sure that you have the speed button held down the whole time, too. And yep. so that's a its own... Uh, its own little uh, difficult thing there. Yep. And um, as for home versions, there were home versions released for the Atari 2600. Oh, oh, oh before I go on, uh, you if you have at least semi-moderate experience playing an Atari 2600, 
you're probably thinking, hmm, the game requires two buttons, one to adjust your speed, one to shoot. But the Atari 2600 only has one button. What do we do? Well, there's no shooting in the 2600 version of Solar Fox. So the button only adjusts your speed. What surprises me is how highly Solar Fox on the 2600 is rated by critics. Because I played this after I played the arcade version in MAME. I played the 2600 version afterwards. And I was like, yeah, there's something missing. But a lot of people loved it. And I guess it turns out that not a lot of people, at least back when the game was first out, knew that it was also an arcade game. They were only familiar with the 2600 game. So it must have looked really good in comparison when there's nothing to compare it with, I guess. Mm -hmm. And there was also a Commodore 64 version that I didn't have a chance to look into. Now, there were versions planned for Intellivision and ColecoVision, but they were never released. I actually encountered a uh, quote-unquote homebrew version of uh, Solar Fox uh, on Linux. Oh, really? And it was programmed using Python and the Pygame libraries. Oh. And um, I don't know much uh, about it, but I did play it. And uh, I, do, I do remember that in the documentation for that one. They said it was based on the Atari 2600 game. So they obviously did not know that it was an arcade game, but uh, it was a very, very uh, excellent rendition. It had like power-ups and stuff. And what else? Oh yeah. One, one thing I forgot to mention that's really worth mentioning. This helps a lot. The sound on the arcade version is stereo, which was common for Bally back then because Tron was stereo. Uh, Was Gyrus? Gyrus wasn't Bally, was it? No, that was Konami. I think Journey was stereo. I would think, I would hope Journey was stereo. Except for the uh, music part. If the eight tr- the uh, pre-recorded music is not stereo, <laughs> I know that for I I noticed that I noticed how low-fi that was. Yeah, I was so happy. I actually when I when I played the uh, arcade journey for the first time when I went to Galloping Ghost, I actually made it past the uh, the concert stage, which I never did before in Mame. <laughs> but oh well. Um, let's see what else should I mention about uh, blueprint? Is there anything or blueprint? Jeez, uh, Solar Fox. Is there anything else you would like to know about it, Jimmy G? No. Well, that I would like to know about it. Yeah. Oh. Um, hmm. I'll be happy to answer any questions you have about it. Um, the day that it was released, was that a prime number? Oh, that's a good question. I'm glad you asked. You said you would answer. Okay, I said I'd answer. I just didn't say I'd answer with the actual information that you requested. Ah, that is true. So, that is true. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um. I really like the sound on this game. Oh, me I'm just too. i say me that too. right now. Yeah. It's kind of, even no, I don't think it has the same uh, audio as the uh, Astrocade-based games that we've uh, we've talked about. It's really got great audio, um, and um, it, it really sound. It really has that same feel as those games, and uh, the graphics are, are consistent with uh, with like Tron and Journey and Satan's Hollow. Really, especially Satan's Hollow, I think it's got a lot in common with some of the graphics. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's really got a good combination of uh, elements here. Uh, excellent graphics, excellent sound, simple gameplay. Yeah, easy to figure out too. You don't re- even really kind need to. Pretty easy to figure out, manual. yeah. And uh, let me see. Uh, there are some high scores I can share about please, Solar please Fox. Do. Uh, Solar Fox, according to Orcade.com, they have the highest score as 976,550, as scored by Joseph Grill. Joseph Grill. And that was performed uh, December 26, 2016, at the Galloping Ghost Arcade. And Twin Galaxies is showing Russell Palmer scoring a million seven hundred and sixty-three thousand 
700. And uh, that performance was submitted to Twin Galaxies on March 12th, 1983, verified by referee. And yeah, uh, Jimmy G, what are your thoughts on uh, Solar Fox? I'm going to rate it a four. I don't know if this is a game that I will keep going back to, but it is fun. I think I kind of like the 2600 version a little bit better. Really? Why? Maybe I, I think it may just because that's the version I'm familiar with, you know, without having the fire and all that. And, and honestly, to be fair, the 2600 version, I don't think uses needs the fire that much. And when yeah. I play it, I keep forgetting that I playing the arcade version. I keep forgetting that I have the option of using fire anyway. So <laughs> yeah, that is true because f- you do not need the fire button. Not that much. No. no, I mean, I could see where it would come in handy, but it's really not a necessity. But yeah, I, I, I'm going to rate this a four. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't see myself coming back to it often, but uh, I will come back to it. Yeah, I would and like to come back to it myself. I was so close to giving it a five, actually. Really? Yeah. Because the thing is, I didn't really have a lot of time to sit down and play a whole bunch of games at once. I was just kind of go like in and out, just trying a game here, trying another game later. Uh, during my lunch break, I actually sat down and played a whole bunch of games of uh, Solar Fox in one sitting. And then I was like, yeah, I'm okay, I've had enough of this. A game that I say, yeah, I've had enough of this, I can't give it a five. I can't give it a five. But it's definitely, I think it's definitely worth four continues for me. I can easily, see, like next time I'm at the Ghost or anywhere else that has the game, I can very, uh, in fact, I will probably intentionally seek it out. I've heard about the game for a long time, but I never actually checked it out until now. And I kind of wish I had checked it out before because it is, it is a worthy game. It absolutely is. Awesome. Oh, I think so. So you gave it a four also. I also gave it a four and I found myself actually using the fire button a lot, but I almost felt guilty because the kind of main things for me, basically constantly hitting the fire button made it exponentially easier for me to rack up a bigger score, mm-hmm. I guess. Cause, cause you can run over the, and I keep forgetting what they call these things, uh, the fuse ores. So what I would do is I would run over them and just constantly fire. And the cool thing about that is when you're firing, you can also shoot the uh, projectiles that come from the thrust doors, kind of like in space invaders, how you can shoot the bullets, same thing here. So that has kind of the double effect of helping you clear the fusors easier and also self-defense. Mm-hmm. And oh, one thing I forgot to ask, uh, where's the first place you've ever played this? Um, on my uh, laptop. That's the only place I've ever played it. I want to think I played this for the first time at Putt-Putt Golfing Games also. Again, this is kind of the sort of game they would have. They had like the major hits at the time, but they also had like these lesser uh, titles scattered in too. So um, I'm pretty sure that's where I played it. And again, this game to me also has a laundromat game vibe, but um, but I would say only ever so slightly. Uh, not like uh, <laughs> not like Blueprint had. Yeah, yeah. To me, I I can't imagine this, at least for me, being a laundromat game simply because I think there's a little. It looks like they put a little bit too much effort into this game for the, for it to in terms of the graphics, mm-hmm. for it to be a laundromat game. Because that's something that I notice about the games that you call laundromat games. A lot of them are a lot of fun, but they just kind of look like they didn't really put a lot of effort into them. Not meaning they didn't. Of course. Some of them are actually pretty fun, but I know what you're talking about. And with that, should we um, 
reveal the theme? Actually, let's get back to Eugenio. Why don't Ooh, we? Oh, Eugenio. Yeah. So you want to read these two? Since I read uh, the yeah, other part of the Yeah, because you, you just bogarted keep... the other. Now I got to find it because I clicked away from it. Uh-huh. Um, sorry, Trek MD. Uh, let's see. Oh, here we go. What Eugenio says about Solar Fox, this is a game I never experienced in the arcade as I never saw it back in the day. Yeah, me too. Me too. Heck, I've never seen it at the local arcade, PRGE, or FPF, Freeplay Florida. I learned of Solar Fox when reading game reviews for the Atari 2600 online in the early 2000s. The reviews were positive, so I made it a point to find the game and give it a try, and I was glad that I did. I found the game to be fun and most definitely addicting in its gameplay. Though the port's graphics are simplified, oh, I gotta get to that in a moment, uh, Sorry, uh, back to Eugenio. They do look pretty good, and CBS Electronics really did an excellent job adapting the gameplay on the 2600. Unfortunately, Solar Fox was not ported to either the 5200 or the 7800, which makes no sense as either system could certainly handle it. Maybe a homebrew developer will give that a try. <laughs> as for the arcade, I've yet to see a machine at any retro event, but I'm eager to find one to give it a try. All right, I'm going to stop here and address something that Eugenio said. He's talking about how CBS Electronics did a good job. Well, he said, excellent job, actually, uh, adapting the game to the 2600. Something that really stuck out to me about the 2600 version, the graphics are really good. And there's no, if I remember correctly, I haven't played it since this morning, uh, there's no flicker. And I think CBS did that in a lot of their games. They have a lot of flicker-free games, if I'm not mistaken. Or am I mistaken? Mm, there's definitely flicker in the 2600 port of blueprint. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I played uh, the 2600 port of blueprint during my uh, most recent and probably final uh, extra life marathon. I think uh, our friend Keith suggested I play it and I didn't like it. I didn't like it. And uh, yeah, I, I, I have no memory of it now. <laughs> Can I address one thing that uh, Eugenio says here? Too? Please do. He says, uh, unfortunately, it was not ported to either the 5200 or the 7800. I don't think this game would work well with the 5200 controller. Really? Oh, with, with the controller. Yeah. What about the upcoming um, Atlanta controller? If you had some alternate joystick, I don't know, it might, but uh, I don't. But then again, I have been surprised at how well the 5200 joystick controls with some games, especially kicks. Oh. So I guess maybe in the hands of the uh, of a competent programmer, it could yeah. work well. Yeah, yeah. But, if, it works, um, if it works well with kicks, then there's no reason it couldn't work well with uh, Blueprint or not Blueprint, Solar Fox. Solar Fox. Yeah. I, see, I keep for, I keep confusing these games, and they're nothing alike. I I, I don't know. I, I need. Well, they were both released by CBS Games, so that that is very true, and and by Bally Midway in the arcade. Uh -huh. Ooh, that's a secondary uh, theme. Oh, oh, oh. And let's not see. Here's what uh, Eugenio says about uh, Blueprint. Unless you have more to say about his comments on Solar Fox. No, nope, I'm good. All right, Blueprint. This is another game that I've never seen or played in the arcade, not even at retro events. My first contact with the game came from seeing the Atari 2600 version, which was ported by CBS Electronics. Hmm, is this the theme for today? Games ported to the home system by CBS Electronics? It is now. It is now. <laughs> the Though the port does have simplified graphics, they are colorful, and there's even in-game music, which is a pretty good rendition of the music from the arcade original. The gameplay appears to also capture that of the arcade fairly well. Now, once I got my 5200, I had the chance to play that port of the game, which is much better visually. 
In fact, the 5200 port looks pretty close to the arcade version, with the main difference being that the maze is wide instead of tall. Well, yeah, understandably. The sound effects and music are also much better than on the 2600, and the gameplay more closely matches the arcade. As for the game itself, this is an okay game. It does look very nice, but it's not the most exciting thing to play, despite having a fairly original premise. If I ever do see it at one of the retro events, I'll give it a try, though. And going to the Final Frontier Gaming, Eugenio. Oh, oh, there's a post. Oh, you already read the postscript. So, yeah. I have to say, um, one thing I didn't mention about the You don't have to. Is, well, is uh, the theme music on the 2600 version. Uh, That gets stuck in my head if I play the game for any length of time. It's uh, pretty addicting, kind of on the Moon Patrol song uh, level. So, um... My only problem with the music is um, the theme on the 2600 is, as people know, the console know that it doesn't have good music and the notes are pretty much all off. But there's like one note in that theme that always jars me, and I'm trying to remember which one it was. But um, otherwise, um, I do like that song, so... That's all I needed to add. That's all I needed to add. Okay. Yeah, I have nothing else to say again because, like, yeah, my only experience with Blueprint on the 2600 was during Extra Life, and I I wish to not play it again. So, so yeah. I mean, there are other games on the 2600 that I, that I want to play. So, that's what I'll do. I'll play other games. And I just heard my beagle howl at something. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, well. Um, so, you know what? Uh, let's talk about the theme. Should, should, yeah, should we? let's okay. talk about the theme. All right, the theme is... Well, actually, actually, I think Eugenio really did say it. Uh, the theme was... Yeah, yeah, Eugenio actually did guess the theme. It was uh, arcade games that were ported to the 2600 by CBS Electronics. And by the way, these games and the theme were suggested by our friend and uh, Patreon sponsor, Keith Sheehan. So thank you for that information, Keith. And speaking of which, I would like to thank our Patreon sponsors. And I organized the Patreon sponsor list tonight in such a way that it, that we have Patreon sponsors that we have not yet met, but we really want to. And then one Patreon sponsor that you have met, but I haven't met. And then Patreon sponsors that we've all met. So in roughly that order, I want to thank Greg Polander at the Super NES podcast New Balance Stores Phoenix, Christian Williams, D. Alex, Lance Endries, Richard Valdez, Kurt Musgrave, Timmy Mack. Uh, I don't know if that, wait, is that how we actually like, because I, I try to go by how people uh, uh, sign up for us, because that's usually how they like to be um, addressed. Uh, let me see. Is that how he likes to be referred? Referred. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let me see. Referred to as. Um, 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 Tim McGowan. Here we go. <laughs> Whatever you want, Tim. It's all it's all your choice. All up to you. And PJ Steele, thank you. Art Guglielmo, thank you. Richard Grounds and Airshack and Steve Steiner, thank you. Rory, Charles Coleman, thank you. Franco Dragon, Kyle Etter, Atari Bites, Tim Foley, Nate Lockhart, Keith Sheehan, and Underground Retrocade. Thank you all so much for uh, supporting us uh, financially as we partake in this uh, little endeavor. So. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy G, what are we going to talk about for Esipode, uh, episode episode 108? Sorry. For Esipode 108, we're going to be talking about Kickman 
and Super Glob. Kickman and yes. Super Glob. Super Glob. Oh, Super Glob. Super Glob. Sorry. My fault. Exactly. Able to glob things faster than a speeding bullet, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, do you have any uh, parting words? God, we, this is a short episode today. Plate tectonics. Plate tectonics. Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> My parting words are Red Sea. Uh, uh. Ooh, ooh. So, Very yeah, this nice. is uh, Sean from uh, south of Rogers Park. And this is Jimmy G south of the I&M Canal. Oh, dude, you know, I don't I don't remember if I told you this, but I, um, you, you know how I taught test prep for mm-hmm. several years? Uh, I actually quit that job uh, late last year. I did it for 17 years. I taught test prep, like SAT, ACT, GRE, GMAT, MCAT. EIEIO. EIEIO, LSMFT. I taught so many different college entrance test courses and things. And I once had a student in an ACT course I taught, I think in Northbrook. And I started talking about the geometry questions. And I said, well, you know, the geometry section on the ACT isn't so bad. It's not like, say, geometry class when you're a sophomore in high school. You don't have to do geometric proofs. Uh, you don't have, it's really not all that bad. It's pretty easy, actually. And one of my students said, oh, yeah, is this one of those tests where they give you like a, a protractor that's like part of the page, you punch it out out of the perforation and stuff? And I said, well, no, they don't give you any weapons of math instruction. It was so much easier to sign off with a uh, something other than a pun. Yeah, it was it was so much easier to sign off with a redundancy, and even much more easier to sign off with a uh, oxymoron. Man, Let's this just is, do non sequiturs. This is going to be a difficult year. <laughs> oh well. Alrighty, and I uh, hope to see some of you at Midwest Gaming Classic. There, we forgot to mention that. Bye. Bye-bye. This episode of the Pie Factory podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening and closing theme is The Happy L composed by Sean Courtney. Follow the Pie Factory podcast online via Facebook, on Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or on piefactorypodcast.com. Support the show at patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. Now we're going to fly. On Grand Avenue. You stand a chance against their band of bees and bats out to cut your space journey short? Fire on these out-of-this-world insects for points while avoiding Galaga's tractor beam that pulls you in and forces you to call up more ships. Free the captured ship for double the firepower against the formidable foe. Be cunning and clever and you can be victorious against Galaga. Or you can be like Jeff and just blow the heck out of him. I learned of Solar Fox when reading game reviews for the Atari 2600 online in the early... Whoa. (sighs) Is that the Blackberry Ginger Ale too? Probably, probably. Or it was the lemonade, I don't know.